Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, January 10th by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is the second sermon in our sermon series entitled, The Joy of the Lord, the Book of Philippians. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. We are fresh into our new sermon series on the letter to the Philippians, which we've titled, The Joy of the Lord. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul and sent to the church that he and his companions had started about 10 years earlier in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Now this city was located in the region of Macedonia, which is modern day Greece, and would have been the first church that was planted in Europe. Now eventually we know that the gospel spread throughout Europe and that whole continent and then around the world. So this is a pretty significant church plant. Now last week, we highlighted that this church was special to Paul because they consistently stood with him in his ministry. They had multiple times sent financial gifts. Uh, They kept them in prayer. They even sent people from their church to go visit Paul in prison. And that was just a huge encouragement to him. Not only that, but this church had been started in a very unique way. It started through Paul and Silas sharing the gospel, being beaten for their faith, locked in jail, and then God's power showed up, freed them from jail. The jailer comes to faith in Christ. Him and his whole household are baptized. And in a matter of just a few short weeks, the church in Philippi was born. So Philippi has a special place in Paul's heart, just as Paul had a special place in their hearts. And that's the way the body of Christ works. That's kind of what we looked at last Sunday. Now, I encouraged you last week to read Acts chapter 16 if you want to get the background on how this church started and to understand the nature of this special relationship that Paul has with this church because it comes out in his letter to the Philippians. He expresses um, this affection that he has for them. On top of that, Acts 16 is just a fantastic story, so go read it. Now, today we're looking at Philippians 1, 12 to 26, and guiding my thoughts on this passage today are the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2, verse 9, where he says, but God's word is not chained. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended uh, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Now, what we're going to see in our passage today is that it has everything to do with this idea. Have you ever had a plan backfire on you? You know, where you did something expecting it to have a certain outcome and it actually accomplished accomplished, uh, the opposite of that? Now, in business, when there's more than one person who's the owner, there's usually a document called a shareholder's agreement. It outlines the various ways that a partnership uh, can be settled or dissolved, where one can buy out the other, that kind of a thing. Sometimes they put in that shareholder's agreement a shotgun clause. Usually this clause is acted upon when things are going sideways or it's very difficult to try to divide the assets fairly. The reason it's called the shotgun clause is because once a person in business pulls the trigger on using that clause, they don't know the outcome. Uh, They could shoot themselves in the foot. The way it works is that one person offers a price for the business to the other business partner. That's pulling the trigger. Now the partner has a choice. They can either pay you that same amount for the business and buy you out or let you pay them that price that you set. So you have to be very careful if you use the shotgun clause. If you set the price too low, they might just buy it from you and get a great deal. If you set the price too high, they might let you pay that higher amount to them and they'll just say thank you very much and here's a little Christmas bonus. So it's a gamble and often it can backfire on people. 
They thought it would do a certain thing, but it did the opposite. They thought they knew the outcome of their actions, but they didn't. In our passage today, we're going to see that Paul is telling his partners in the gospel, the ones at Philippi, that things are not the way that they think they might be. So what's happened? While the believers in Philippi have received news that Paul is in prison in Rome, 600 miles away. And it seems that they're thinking it's a worst case scenario or, or at least that it's, a, it's bad news. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, well, it means that the gospel is no longer being preached and the enemy maybe is winning, right? But it also means that Paul is probably enduring hardship and maybe feeling very discouraged and loving him, they're concerned for him. So Paul writes this in Philippians 1.12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Okay, that's, that's an opposite outcome of what they would think from the news that they heard. Paul is in prison and not able to go out and preach the gospel like he's been doing, going around from city to city, planting churches. He's been stopped. And it kind of maybe feels like the enemy has the upper hand here. Satan has Paul trapped in prison, chained to a guard, the main voice of proclaiming the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles is shut down. It seems the church in Philippi was thinking something along those lines. But Paul says to them, not so fast. Just because I'm in prison doesn't mean the gospel is stopped. So let's read Philippians 1, 12 to 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul, Paul says the gospel is actually advancing. But how? Well, he says as a result of being imprisoned, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that he's in chains for Christ. So what does this look like for Paul, this being in prison? Scholars believe that the best evidence points to the fact that Paul is in Rome because here in this passage, it refers to the whole palace guard. And in 422, he says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So we have two references that fit the context of Rome. We also know that in Acts 25, Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen to have his case tried by the emperor of Rome. So he appealed to Caesar. He probably figured that his odds were better to go to Rome uh, on trial than to go to Jerusalem. So Governor Festus says, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. In Rome, most likely, Paul was under house arrest. But don't think of this as a comfy place. He could never leave the house and he was chained to a guard for 24 hours a day. The reference in Philippians to the whole palace guard is what is called the Praetorian Guard. There's about 10,000 to 15,000 personal bodyguards that the emperor had to keep him safe. Paul was under their care. Can't you picture Paul chained 24 hours a day to a guard? There are um, four different shifts of six hours. So you get these guards rotating throughout the day. And over the course of two years, he's going to see a whole bunch of these guards that he's witnessing to. These Praetorian palace guards who are the guards at the highest level in the empire as well as everyone else who was associated with the palace, probably including the lawyers who were working on the trial case of Paul. So these guards who are chained to Paul, they're hearing him sing his songs and his prayers and the conversations he has with visitors. They're hearing the gospel both indirectly and directly. 
And I'm sure in those quiet moments, Paul shares Christ with them specifically, that they personally need to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And some of them come to faith in Christ. Paul has a captive audience and they listened and they came to faith in Christ. It's a brilliant strategy for advancing the gospel, but it wasn't Paul's strategy. This was God's plan. And that's what encourages Paul and that's what he's encouraging the Philippians with. On top of that, he says, the Christians here in Rome, they've become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of Paul's example in prison, it emboldened their faith. What's happening here is the exact opposite of what you might think would be the case. Paul says to these Philippians, instead of fear, there's faith and the gospel's advancing. Now we understand this, right? We, get, we, we understand why these Christians are fired up because of Paul's witness in, in prison. Uh, there's movies that have this kind of theme, you know, when the chips are down and you think the person is lost, and then they do something that just emboldens the courage of someone else, and all of a sudden the tide changes and the ones who were losing rise up to overthrow those who are dominating. Something like that. It's like the storyline of 50% of the movies out there. But this story is reality. It's the power of God. It's the power of the gospel that is being taken to the highest levels of Rome. And it's being done through Paul's chains. It is God using the otherwise difficult circumstances that Paul is facing in order to accomplish his plans and purposes. And it's for this reason that Paul rejoices. So the first thing is it seems that Paul is encouraging the Philippians that the gospel is still advancing. Secondly, it seems that Paul is trying to reassure the Philippians that he's okay. I mean, by nature of the fact that he doesn't even bring up his own personal hardships, but he's overjoyed rather with the, the gospel that's going out. He's in essence telling them, I'm okay. So, you know, when they heard about Paul being in prison, they were probably very concerned for him, just like we would be. Now, I'm about to share an example with you, but it's just an illustration. So don't think that this has really happened. It hasn't. I'm just pretending. But I want to do it so that you can feel what the Philippians would have felt. As you know, Rob and Karine Lee, along with their two kids, are missionaries in Italy. They are there as missionaries, church planting with Avant in a city called Florence. Now, we're their supporting church family. We sent them out to go do this, and we love Rob and Karine. Rob is the son of our former lead pastor, Dave and Emily, um, and he was a part of our church family for just over 18 years. He married Karine about 10 years ago, and together they served a lot in our church family. Karine did a church ministries internship when she was taking her degree at Acts Seminary. Rob was a deacon on our leadership team. Uh, together they were involved in Sardis Kids ministry uh, as well as giving leadership to our young adults and a number of other things too. Now we prayed over them and commissioned them for this church planting ministry in Italy on November 6, 2016, just over four years ago. How would we be feeling today if we were to hear that Robin Kadeen had been arrested in Italy for preaching the gospel and they were put in prison, they were awaiting a trial where they did not know what the outcome was, would be? You know, like we would be worried. We'd be praying. We'd be phoning or emailing or just trying to find out more information or how we could help. We might even send people there. You know, but sometimes we, we read these Bible stories and we forget that these are real people just like us with real feelings and emotions of loss and hardship and fear, the same heaviness that we would feel in a situation like that they felt. I'm sure that they were wondering, is Paul afraid? Is Paul alone? Does Paul need food or clothing? 
because he has to take care of himself? Does he feel abandoned and discouraged? You know, might this be what Paul is feeling and would he ever be released? The church in Philippi had a pretty good idea of what it was like for a person like Paul to be in prison. And so they knew that they were to be concerned about it. Paul wants to reassure them that despite his imprisonment, he is okay. And the gospel is advancing. And he's actually rejoicing in the midst of this suffering. It's not the setback that maybe they thought it was. And Paul is telling them that the gospel is actually making progress into the very heart of the Roman Empire because he's there in chains. Something he couldn't have expected. So the trigger had been pulled, but God's word is not chained. Paul goes on to say that the gospel is also being preached by others outside of prison, some with good motives and some with bad motives. So let's read verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense, for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Well, the first question I had was, who are these people that don't like Paul? I mean, I thought everyone liked the Apostle Paul. I mean, don't they see that they're on the same team? Now, without knowing the exact reason why these preachers felt the way they did towards Paul, we can surmise a couple of reasons that seem plausible. One, some did not see Paul's chains as grace, but as a disgrace. They, they didn't want to be associated with Paul because these chains represented shame. The chains were Rome's assessment of a person's worth and social status in their system. Paul was worth nothing. Possibly these Roman Christians were also preaching the gospel, uh, who were preaching the gospel, couldn't see how this could possibly be God's goodwill, but rather the shameful result of Paul's unwise actions. So, you know, I think that we can relate to some of those thoughts, right? It's very human. The second reason, and it, it comes out of the first reason, uh, is that these people probably saw Paul as a bit of a wild card. I mean, he stirred things up. Wherever he went, there was always a crowd or a riot, and it was an easy step for people to accuse him of political unrest, that he was a rebel rouser, maybe even an insurrectionist, those kinds of things. Well, they accused Jesus of that too. But they didn't like Paul's style of evangelism. They, they possibly saw that this was their opportunity to preach the gospel the right way, a kind of we'll-show-you-how-it's-done attitude. Now, Paul was a popular figure, and the petty jealousy that accompanies our human flesh seem to have gotten in the way of these preachers. At the end of the day, they were wrong. They either did not have all the information or they were reading it incorrectly. Their own spiritual pride got in the way of the love and the unity that is ours in Jesus Christ as fellow believers. Not so with Paul. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. One time, the disciples came to Jesus, kind of with a similar angle. It's recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Teacher John, the apostle, the disciple John, said, We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told them to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. 
For no one who has done a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose a reward. Hmm. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against us is for us. You know, Paul left room for God to be the judge of the hearts of these people. And he rather celebrated the end result, the outcome of the preaching of the gospel, that it would produce fruit. I want to stop here for a moment and share a little bit about my own journey on these matters of the preaching of the gospel, and especially as it relates to different ways than my own. And I could call this confessions of a recovering Pharisee. There was a time where I stood in the middle of my theological camp with quite a liberal attitude towards my accusations of others who didn't see the gospel exactly the way I did or didn't preach it the way that I thought it should be preached. This is called tribalism. Tribalism is where we hunker down and surround ourselves with only the voices who share our own view of this thing that we call the gospel, and we don't even try to listen, truly listen, for what others are saying. It's easier just to defend my own position and accuse them of being wrong. We become more concerned about pointing out the errors of others than preaching the gospel ourselves. I was there. And it wasn't very Christ-like. It lacked a lot of humility and grace towards my brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be careful of this because often we don't have all the information or we're not reading it correctly, just like those who judged Paul's circumstances. There is a place for concern and there is a place for clarifying, but there is also a place for patience and grace and for prayer. Pray for those who you're concerned about who preach the gospel because, quite frankly, we need them. We have a world that is lost and we need the whole body of Christ to win this world for Christ. Galatians 6.10, Paul says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I think Paul would ask these kinds of questions about these preachers with false motive. Are they preaching Christ crucified? Yes. Are they preaching the resurrection of Christ? Yes. Are they preaching the grace of God and salvation through faith in Jesus? Yes. Well, then, he would say, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Oh, yes, he says, and I will continue to rejoice. Augustine is the one credited with this saying, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Paul was in prison and some wanted to take advantage of this for their own gain in the preaching of the gospel. The trigger had been pulled, but it resulted in a different outcome because God's word is not changed. It is advancing. And now we come to our final passage for today. Verses 19 to 26. People are always a little glad when they hear that it's the final passage, but I assure you, the average preacher doesn't mean a thing by it. Now, this is a very curious passage as Paul ponders his predicament in life. Okay, his case will be heard by the emperor or his court, but what will the outcome be? Will he be found innocent and allowed to live, or will he be found guilty and be executed? I mean, those are two legitimate outcomes. As we read this, I want you to view the Apostle Paul speaking out loud, kind of pondering his own thoughts on the outcomes. One is life, one is death. So let's take a look. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, 
but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. A desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on, a me, on account of me. You know, you kind of can see the vacillating in Paul's mind between these two possible outcomes. I might live, I might die. And he, and he weighs the pros and the cons of that. Now, his conclusion is that because of the prayers of the Philippians and through the provision of the Holy Spirit, he concludes that he will be delivered and see them again. So that's the outcome that he's pretty much sure is God's will for him. On more than one occasion, Paul has had a strong sense of God's leading through the Holy Spirit in his life. Um, even in the founding of the Church of Philippi, which I was referencing last Sunday, Paul was planning to go to another city in Asia, and he bordered on the city of Mycenae, and the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to enter. So they passed by that city, and then it says in the morning the Spirit led them to conclude that they were to go to Macedonia and to that city of Philippi, a leading city, and they were to plant a church there. I'll share one more occasion recorded for us about Paul's sense of the Holy Spirit's leading in, of life, in, in his life. And of course, there's many more of these that you can find. But it takes place in a later time than this, um, closer to the end of Paul's life, where he sensed that death was near. It's found in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. But at this time, in this letter to Philippians, through the Holy Spirit, Paul is convinced that his time has not yet come, that he will be delivered, and he will see the Philippians again, and that is what happens. So that's the bottom line of where Paul lands, you know, that he will be freed and he will see them again. But I want us to look at the process of his thinking here, because I think there's something for us to learn as well. He's facing death, and he rejoices because he knows that if he dies, he sees Christ. And if he lives, he's going to carry on God's purposes in his kingdom. So his conclusion is it's, it doesn't matter which one happens. I mean, for, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I keep on serving Christ. And if I die, I go to be with him. It's a win-win scenario for Paul. Like, that is such an amazing perspective. Don't you think it's that perspective that convinced the palace guards that there was something different about this guy and that they wanted to hear his gospel message and that they considered it and that they received it? It's an amazing statement of faith. I've been sobered by this statement for the last few weeks, meditating on it myself, asking myself, can I actually say it in good conscience? Can I say the words that Paul spoke for me, Rod, to live as Christ and to die as gain? You know, in an ultimate sense, I think that we can answer that yes, but there's something awfully challenging about those words which cause me to assess my own priorities in life. What am I really living for? Because what we live and act not only is for this time, but it's for eternity. Paul put all of his eggs in one basket, and it's Christ. And my question is, where do we put our eggs? So as we close the service in prayer today, I would invite you to join me in your heart as I ask God 
to help us to be able to make that statement that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are God, you are our creator, you are our redeemer and our Lord. And it's in your presence that we humbly bow and we reflect on that closing thought of the Apostle Paul's in this message to us. Please help us to see Christ more clearly that we would desire him and his way here and now because we want to delight in you for eternity. May our faith be emboldened like those early Christians in Rome who were able to be confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. For we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is a power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We've experienced that. Help us to pass that on to those around us. So my prayer today is that you would move our hearts from fear and an indifference to obedience and faith. Help us, dear God, for we do not do this in our own strength. We do it in yours. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.